0: Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Bill O'Reilly. I can't do it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Now let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The
1: Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by the city of Shermer, Illinois. Whether it's for your next family vacation or a place to put down roots, take a day off and visit Shermer, Illinois. Welcome everyone to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a movie podcast where we analyze and break apart films for, I don't know, the casual viewer, for ourselves. I mean, a lot of it is kind of selfish uh, on our part, specifically on my part. I won't put this all on Todd because as a writer and director and someone who, you know, wants to make these things, I always take an opportunity to figure out how can I get better at this? And so I I tend to uh, just... Pick movies that help identify some aspect of filmmaking that I, I want to learn more about. But every movie, I feel like even the ones that go off, off the rails, uh, from what I would normally do teach us so much. And we, I always feel like we walk away knowing a lot, but. Today, we have someone else who is also, in addition to us being filmmakers and writers, we are joined today by a special guest, Dave Jasmine, who has been a professional writer for over 17 years. He's written uh, for Rooster Teeth and Meow Wolf. He has a... uh, sad existential cheese comic called True Cheese. True Cheese is a collaboration with him and our dear friend Alyssa Marie. And he's done so much. He has a recent piece right now that he worked on with Meow Wolf. It's a permanent exhibit, art exhibit in Las Vegas. It's called Omega Mart. And you can see it right now in Las Vegas, uh, Meow Wolf is a really big deal. If you haven't heard of this, the, uh, this this art collective I don't know what to call that group uh, your group that you were a part of uh, it's pretty insane but anyways uh, welcome everybody Dave Jasmine to the show
0: yeah uh, thanks guys uh, thanks for having me here um, yeah uh, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, <laughs> with guests it's come to this quick quick note that a g- exhibition opens in February I don't know if I, uh, I'm allowed to even say it yet but I think they've said that uh. <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows about it now, yeah, but the they back. have that. Yeah. They have like a big, it's an art collective. That's right. In big exhibit in Santa Fe that a lot of people go to. And the next one's in Vegas and it's massive. It's like 50,000 square feet of art and story. And there's over a hundred artists who've worked on it. And I guess I include myself with that, uh, but strictly with words, like word artists. So there's a lot of, copy that is all over this thing that I have a hand in that's uh like fictional and weird and it's the weirdest job ever and I don't know how to ex- describe it and it somehow is a writing credit I guess <laughs> um but yeah it's super
2: it's huge man it's huge it's like made its way to to people that don't even know what the hell they're talking about like me I've heard of uh, you know I heard about this a while back and was just you know in awe of it and and didn't know where it came from. These are the kinds of things that are so exciting because they, they just, they kind of like percolate up to the top of everyone's attention without them even looking for it. You know, like I, I wasn't ever looking for anything like that, uh, but then it just like kind of like fell upon me, and and I haven't been there, but I have heard like crazy amazing things about it. So that's that's just amazing. Congratulations on being a part of that, man. And, and yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, I mean, I hope that people can get out there by february to go see it yeah that's you know? that's
0: the big hurdle is it's uh, very <laughs> yeah. like ha- hands-on and breathe <laughs> like Perfect uh, pandemic uh, yeah. even pre-pandemic i'd be like man there's a lot of like sticky kid hands up in here you know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we'll see gross gross uh, yeah gross.
2: <laughs> well speaking of gross today we are we are covering a film that is a recommendation from dave himself Uh, Dave, you want to tell us a little bit, uh, about the film, but first, before you tell us a little bit about the film, uh, there are spoilers galore that we're going to cover. So please pause this episode and go watch it. It's streaming on Netflix, uh, and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, so I basically got into it the same way. I think a lot of Americans are getting into South Korean movies this way, like right now, Korean wave, so to speak um is like through like seeing and liking parasite um and then you know just going back and kind of checking out stuff that like you know oh i've like heard of that before but i hadn't really taken the time to watch it and then like basically just went down a rabbit hole of watching like as many south korean movies because you're a pretty big
1: film buff like you'll go down you'll watch something just because like there's no
0: yeah reason right like you and there's just like a lot of Uh, stuff now that's like one pro I think of pandemic time is that it's just way more easy for American audiences to be introduced to like international movies that they just like they wouldn't come to your theater or like theater or uh, if they did you know like maybe you're like if that's the movie I'm going to pick I wouldn't go see one where I'm reading subtitles or something you know but I mean at home it's just it's a better home experience you know Um, something I'm doing anyway is like putting subtitles on when I watch like English things because I'm an old man (laughs) and I like to check out uh, and like I need visuals to make me hear with my eyes you know watched a bunch of them and burning is one that stuck out to me as just a it's very slow and nothing happens but as a writer and someone who's especially interested in like long fiction literature it speaks to me like that and obviously has a lot of Literary references in it, and it's based on a short story, which is based on another short story. Um, So there's a lot of interest there. And I feel like this filmmaker just kind of tells this story in a way that like speaks to me and that uh, I appreciate. Um, And yeah
1: nice cool yeah so we're going to talk about a lot of things uh we'll dive do a real deep dive here momentarily uh, but we'll talk about some of the cinematography i don't think we've ever talked about this i want to touch on like natural lighting versus available lighting um we'll also touch on some of the editing how long it how long takes and rhythm of edits affects the experience itself um and then of course we'll talk about some of the story and I don't know. We'll see if we can arrive at any conclusion about what this movie is actually about, um, and other such stuff and things and stuff.
0: I, I think we can arrive at like eight conclusions. Is what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We'll see. We're going to start counting. Um, All right. So I'm going to butcher this synopsis completely. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Jiangsu bumps into a girl who used to live in the same neighborhood, who asks him to look after her cat while she's on a trip to Africa. When back, she introduces Ben, a mysterious guy she met there, who confesses his secret hobby. Directed by Chang Dong-li. Screenplay by Jung-mi-oh and Chang Dong-li. Based on the short story by Haruki Marukami. Cinematography by Kyung Pyo Hong, starring Ah In Yu as Lee Jong Soo, Steven Yoon as Ben, and Jong Seol Jung as Me.
1: Great job, bro! I fucking killed that.
0: God yeah, God, I, I really think you, think you did. This this was, the whole I can't time I was like, English, English names that well, it. I fuck up
2: every single time. We made fun of my me, We made fun of my, I made fun of myself last week because I can't fucking read. Did you hear yeah. That yeah. Killed when that.
0: I Killed that
1: wait what of um, last week I like inserted the uh, at the very end the,
2: of the oh, yeah
1: <laughs> You son of a!
0: I did catch that. It was great. I was just I was waiting for you to like fall off the tightrope that whole time, and I was just like, "No, he stuck it."
2: Uh, nailed that landing. I was like, "I was like, what's her name? Who had, did the the uh, the the pommel horse on a not the pommel horse, but the the oh, what was her name? She had a sprained ankle, and she oh, Carrie Strug. Carrie Strug. I, I don't Cari think she won.
0: Carrie Strug. Yeah. That shit. Yeah. Well done. She sir. helped. She helped the women's team. It win something stuck it (laughs) so i am dying
1: to note so i really want to start with todd this i i don't know why dave likes rom-coms so much what 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 was was this worth two and a half hours did you feel like this was well spent or is it time you wish you had back oh man (laughs) you know
2: so i think i think the herein lies the the um (laughs) the what what's the term the um un not uneducated but the i'm just a i'm like a salt of the earth kind of dude right and so watching a film like this where i'm not like part of meow wolf and i fucking get it right because you got to get all these things if you're like a meow wolf artist it's like it's it's kind of hard because i'm sitting there you know I'm so used to what I'm an American and I'm so used to watching movies that have to hit you over the head every five minutes or else they lose your attention. And so I'm waiting for stuff. Mm. And I think that that's part of the, the that's was part of my problem, which is what I'm recognizing and saying right now, which is that I'm very Americanized um, because I've, you know, I've just brought up watching, you know, movies that do that kind of thing. And so I expect that when I watch a film. And so I'm watching this film, expecting that not getting it. And then, but knowing that like, this is still beautiful like this is the acting is is amazing it's fantastic, and I don't need to speak the language to know how good it is right The cinematography is really amazing. the story itself is really amazing and it made me feel almost like this is like real life like this is kind of like the boring shit that happens in real life. This kid is bored out of his skull like he has nothing really to do right it so everything that happens is like very important to him. Hi me is. Turns out to be very important to him because that's the only good thing he has in his life. So when he's not with her, those things have to, it has to feel long and has to feel drawn out and almost, you know, painfully boring. And so I I got it. I got it. But I didn't get it during, because during, you know, I was expecting stuff to happen and it never did. But afterwards, and I was able to process it, I realized, God, this is it was so good. I I I loved it. I really did. Normally, I would say a movie like this. uh, Okay, this is really good, but I don't need to watch it again. I could totally go watch that again and probably get a lot more out of it the second time. I can't you know, I'm really curious to hear more from Dave and from you specifically on on what you all thought and why, because maybe that'll answer more questions for me. Because I have a lot of questions, but it's kind of—I don't want to kind of pose them until we kind of, you know, kind of do a round robin here or whatever. But I loved it; it was super enjoyable. I would love to watch it a second time, Um, but yes, it was super slow. So if if you if anyone has not listened to to us when we said, you know, go watch it, or there's spoilers. Spoiler spoiler alert! Don't wait for anything to happen because nothing really (laughs) does. But that was part of it. Yeah. Part of it was I expected shit to happen. I, but like that made me expect things and they didn't happen. And so that was almost better in a way because I was waiting for this to turn into a, a horror film. Yeah. Because I purposefully looked, uh, I didn't look this up at all. And there were several moments I thought, oh, shit's going to go down right here. And it never did. And it would hold on a shot for a good 10 seconds. And I would expect something and it never came. And that became actually very enjoyable. And I think it was maybe over halfway through before I realized, oh, this isn't a a horror film.
1: Anyway, yeah, uh, that's that's my two cents. Yeah, I think that those that pacing that you're talking about is massive intention on the film's part, right, of making you wait for this thing that's going to happen. And uh, and it's this constant buildup of tension and expectation. And that kind of plays into sudden you know her sudden disappearance um and that m- begins to make you feel all these questions um about her and ben and what who what is the nature of ben who is this guy yeah what did he do with her and of course that's putting you in uh that's putting us in in jong su's uh shoes right where we're just playing the inspector and we're we're uh and it's funny because he's a writer and so i'm watching this and i'm right there with him like i was literally every step of the way like this dude he's a sociopath. Um, he's speaking metaphorically and symbolically about, you know, greenhouses whenever he's really talking about people, because she's over here looking at the sun and the attention of the sun and she herself is the greenhouse. And, um, we get to the end of the movie and everything happens from a distance. Like we can't really see very well. Whenever he gets out of the truck, I couldn't initially tell who was talking. Um, and he's like, where's, where's, uh, hi me you know where where's she at and then he just starts stabbing her and i was just like oh yeah get his ass like you know, i'm kind of cheering for it and the movie ends and i'm like wow that was brutal and it it felt right and i literally went to sleep and i woke up in the middle of the night and said oh my god she committed suicide he didn't kill her <laughs> And I went back to sleep. Like it was literally, uh, I woke up barely, just on the the edge of consciousness. And these thoughts just flooded into my head of realization that uh, she she wasn't murdered; that she killed herself, um, and that this guy was unrighteously uh, murdered for it. And this is wait—is that what happened? Well, this is all debatable. This is the, what okay, the movie's right. trying to pose to you: like, what really happened? Because they don't give a clear, definitive answer, but. After my evaluation of the evidence, that's what I believe probably most likely happened uh, is that she killed herself. But there's there's one very severe question around that aspect of it uh, that we'll get to here in a second. But I it was all that buildup that made me uh, because I was pretty impatient for about the first 45 minutes before I finally kind of sunk into its rhythm and just started enjoying these moments Uh, With the characters in general, but I would say more specifically with, you know, Jaime, she was just, she was the son. She was the son itself. Like, uh, she brought so much life to every scene. Um, And I think the real sadness of her character is the fact that she didn't realize that she was the son, that, you know, she spent her life. In this lonely, abandoned, destitute spirit, not realizing how much life she was giving to people around her, and to suddenly, you know, have that snuffed out one way or the other. Uh, was a loss to the world, and we feel that loss. We feel that loss in the film. Every after she leaves the the movie, there is a massive gap for the last hour and a half of this movie uh, uh, of her pre- her lack of presence there. Uh, and we'll talk. I I have notes specific on that, and you know whatever Dave's going to say, but like that is just such a, a, a huge gaping hole in this film uh, left by her absence for sure. Um, and we more and more empathize with Jiangsu su um, as he's kind of driven into madness as he really delicately explores her life and the circumstances which may have brought him into it uh, of course he's so single minded in his and I love that he never says it this is something that's never spoken out loud in this movie is the idea that Ben killed her No one says it out loud. Yeah. He just acts on it and we know it. We believe it. Uh, And that to me is just one of the master strokes of storytelling on their part is they got us to believe something that was never once spoken aloud. That's incredible storytelling. Um, And it's just piece by piece. They build that case against Ben tiny piece by piece. And I love it. It's so clever. You know, it starts with this the first time we effectively meet him, right. They go out for dinner and he's just like, Hey, I, I, he laughs, he laughs at her tears and says, I don't know how to cry. Like I've never, I never feel that. Yeah. It's like, Whoa, never cry douchebag and a half but even after her she leaves they start making us believe that this is a pattern with him that they introduce us to a new woman in his life and we see kind of the same pattern that we saw with uh hey me and we see him go through that and so they just very methodically build up a case against him without ever saying a word and this is definitely i mean uh Dave, dave you were mentioning like the the idea that you like to study this kind of stuff where it's very story driven and I can see why uh, because we spend two and a half hours on a film that once you get to the end of it doesn't feel like two and a half like the runtime makes this a hard case for me to hit play again because if I just hit play I'll be glad but knowing ahead of time that this is about to be two and a half hours it's like and nothing happens <laughs> uh but Dave, by all means, weigh in. I assume you like this movie, but that's not a certainty.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love this movie. And uh, I have like a thousand things running through my head based on everything you both said. (laughs) First of all, like Todd, I don't think you have to feel a sort of way about how you interpreted this movie. Because I had the same feeling the first time I watched it, which was like, I definitely am missing a lot here. And I I did want to go back and watch it. And it was like on repeat viewing set, a lot of things kind of clicked for me. I had... One interpretation of it that kind of got wildly upended as well uh, when I thought about it more and like talked to my wife about it afterwards, kind of like Wes was describing. But yeah, like in the same thing, it feels like a horror movie. And I think that's intentional. Like uh, you feel that tension the whole time um, waiting for like the shoe to drop, which to be fair, something does happen like two hours and 20 minutes into the movie when he <laughs> when he like gets, when he stabs him. You know, that's the one thing that happens. Yeah. And that's the you know, it's just a two and hour tw- two hours and two hour 20 minutes, minutes build build up to that hammer, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's also the huggiest stabbing uh, I've it ever is. witnessed in a movie. It's, it's gentle and tender, and uh, it's beautiful. Um, it's loving murder. Also, basically, I'm very interested now at diving into Wes's interpretation of the suicide theory, because my understanding of the movie is that they try to set you up for it's one or the other of... Kind of a lady and the tiger she was murdered by Ben, you know, this is what the movie wants you to believe, or that uh, she just left and disappeared herself like many other young Korean uh, women, like the movie tries to tell you uh, because of their debt. And it's just something that happens and it's something that this writer can't deal with. And that the last half of the movie is him writing the murder to justifying himself uh his inability to like deal with this this loss you know Hmm. so he's making a villain out of ben in that interpretation of it in a way that isn't even might not even be there because everything that we get that's physically evidentiary towards ben being a murderer happens after her disappearance if i have that correct uh in my rewatch and i'm pretty sure i do uh, in terms of like the the cat being uh, mm-hmm. in his apartment the watch from the beginning uh showing up in his place like mm-hmm. all that stuff could theoretically be just written by uh Zhang Su, who we do later see in a shot reverse angle from where we see him the rest of the movie uh in Mi's apartment yep. that is now decorated differently he seems to be like living in it maybe, or just, you know, visiting it and uh maybe imagining himself in it. There's a lot of ways you can take that, but he's uh we get reverse angle because I think we're meant to say that or meant to think that maybe he's making all this up and this is him typing it out in this moment.
1: Oh, that's um, interesting. Because I take cause that I feel go ahead. a short snippet. Like I take that as I took that as a instead of seeing him connected with her through the, the brief beautiful magic moment that the, the, the soul tower provides um, it was instead juxtaposing him against a city and kind of emphasizing how lonely he is and how alone he is now with her absence, which probably still plays into.
0: And that's what I like about it too, is because I feel like you can watch it and think that same thing and it's right. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. say it's not right. And that's what I love about the writing and the story in this, this movie is that, you're meant to think all these things at once because i think that's what it's about it's about all of those things and like the way a writer maybe comes up with these things but also like with the jungsu character but also just that character's place in his class and his society you know like they the movie goes out of its way to you know kind of uh, make a point about the working class and you know the jealousy that he has of ben's character and then also his place against like north korea with like the propaganda that he's backed up against like all of his life you know uh so there's all those things going on at the same time and i feel like the movie pulls it off in telling a story that makes you like you can follow all those threads individually if you want but they're happening all at the same time which is i think like what todd and i experienced the first time you're like wait like I would have to rewatch that to like get all of those things and track it because if you're busy thinking about one, the other one's happening right in front of your face and you're not even realizing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like the thing I appreciate most about this is that like, there's not a lot happening, but there is a lot happening with the words of the movie, like from the jump and with a lot of the visuals thematically, like that early scene you're talking about Wes where uh, she, um, you know, she falls asleep in that little cafe, diner, whatever you want to call it, when she uses that quote that actually is from the, the source material short story, like the forget that there isn't a tangerine, like to describe mm. how she pantomimes. Oh, I loved that. I yeah. mean, yeah. that from the beginning of the movie is describing the feeling <sighs> that Wes had, which is the absence of this girl when she leaves the movie. Like in order to get over her absence, you need to forget that she's not there, you know? And I just love that they laid that uh, seed right in the get go, like right in your face. And for the rest of that movie, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Like where I think the minute hamie has gone, you feel her presence there the whole time. And they laid it with those themes that Wes is describing the sun, the greenhouse, like she is all those things to the point where I was struck like on the repeat viewing when the phone call happens from Hamie that you hear a phone drop footsteps running away that which that's my argument against suicide because you hear footsteps running away yeah. <laughs> but you you see the sun peek up and the there's a rack focus and the wind blows through the trees and you're like that's her you know mm-hmm. uh and like basically through throughout the movie like whether it's in her apartment with the soul reflection or it's in the foggy uh, gross sky at the the final scene after the stabbing. We make a or the director makes a distinct point to make that sun poke out. You know, so you're seeing her again. Like I thought, all that was fabulous, and like <laughs> I, I can examine the way they like track those themes throughout all day because it's it's crazy how detailed it is.
2: It, it reminds me of like, and this is gonna sound kind of like a stupid statement. So, of course, it's going to be, come from me because I make them all the time. If you were to take a book, it, it sounds stupid. If you were to take a book and make a movie out of it, like seriously, yeah. and, and I know that sounds stupid, but I don't mean adapt a book. I mean, like, this is a book because books, they don't give you everything, you know, like part of the reason why everybody says, oh, the book is better, the book is better is because you make it all up in your head. It's like they paint the picture, they give you the descriptions, the metaphors, and everything and the analogies and you paint, you build that world in your own head. So it's exactly how you picture it. And this is the same way, but just not visually, like, like story wise, they kind of leave it so open and they make it so slow to where you have to. You're you're constantly thinking of like, what does this mean? Is this supposed to mean something or like, like, oh, they held on that for 15 seconds am I supposed to be waiting for something? What am I waiting for? Oh my gosh, it could be this, or it could be that. And then they cut away and it was nothing. But that's the same feeling you get from reading a book. A lot of times is that it just, they don't give it to you. You, you kind of build the world. And I felt like that's kind of the connection that we feel with this movie is this ability to create this, um, well, they gave us the leeway to create, whatever story almost whatever story we kind of wanted uh, so it felt like
0: I was reading a book watching it and what's amazing about that too is uh if you guys do read that uh, Haruki Murakami short story barn burning that this is based on this movie is a lot of that short story it's 20 pages I think of roughly what you see in this movie and they basically added the like most iconic scene of this movie which is basically right smack dab in the halfway point where they're all in I feel like the name of the town is Paju, Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. where they're all sitting down smoking weed and she does the great hunger dance and they play Miles Davis, um have those really long shots. Um I think that's like the main story beat that doesn't happen in the short story. So I think like you're right on Todd with it's just like they basically made this book, this short book into a movie. <laughs> and it it cool. can be short and adaptable because there's not a whole ton of dialogue in this movie necessarily. There's a lot of long shots and like you know slow moments so uh um i feel like it was like a really good adaptation and also just uh i brought it up earlier but barn burning is a faulkner short story as well that's in Mm. that book that ben's reading at the cafe and it's quite different from the murakami (laughs) one less enjoyable more racial epithets uh (laughs) which is quite very faulkner uh and um, yeah. but it, it obviously inspired the Murakami short story because it's based, the it's the same thing. It's all based on someone who has a weird thing of burning buildings <laughs> that means something else to them. Well, I'm, I'm interested to see what Wes,
2: uh, has for in his notes about editing and how that, 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 uh, affects your experience. Cause that that's definitely a big part of this for me, this film
1: for me. Huge. Yeah. I'll blast through some of these notes real quick because, uh, I, I want, I definitely want to circle back to some of these. The pros and cons and how i think it ended versus how i my, my dream ending and so mm-hmm. um but just to dive real quick cinematography wise there is a thing um natural lighting versus available light that usually gets kind of combined and this might be getting into splitting hairs territory where it comes you know to cinematography but we usually think of natural lighting as the light that you walk into a building and, and that is already on the sunlight. Um, whereas natural light, I take it to actually mean more of a, an aesthetic or a style. Um, it's something that you're trying to, uh, replicate, like the idea of, you know it's window lighting and now we're being lit by the window that's natural lighting but it not may not actually be light that's coming from the sun it might be you have you know uh, an hmi outside that you're blasting through diffusion that's then blasting through the window and now it's kind of giving you this style of natural lighting but it may not actually be natural light and that's a big big difference between natural light versus available light Whenever I go in and I say I like to work with available light, it means I'm not carrying in any lights. (laughs) I mean, I'm working with whatever is actually there and available. So if I'm shooting, you know, available light outside, it means I'm only working with the sun and maybe some modifiers. Yeah. And so maybe you bring in some bounce. That's fine. That's still, you know, working with available light. But in this movie and the reason I think it's interesting is because this movie seems to be a mixture of both natural and available light. Because there's so many of these wide angle Long moving shots outside that they probably shot using a lot of just available light uh, because there's not a lot of opportunity to hide lights whenever you're you know walking down the street. Now maybe they brought in some light uh, modifications, uh, like some bounce. Maybe they do what's called the Hollywooding, some bounce light. And anytime you say you know you're Hollywooding something, it means you're you're just carrying it around. Um, you're not setting it on a stand and leaving it there. You literally walk around behind the camera bouncing light from you know some white sheet or a beadboard and you're just you know reflecting light from the sun back into the actor's face to provide some fill light so that uh you know the the, you can see the rise usually that's a that's a big motivation is to be able to see the actors a lot eyes, uh, so that the, you know, the human on the other end of the, the camera that's watching this can connect with them. That's how we like to connect with the, uh, the actors is through the eyes. Uh, and so it pays dividends to light it up pretty well. Um, one of the things they did cinematography wise that I really loved was whenever hey me leaves her absence we really feel it and for all the reasons that we've already talked about but in addition to that uh, generally throughout the film there's not a lot of close-ups but even more so like there's really no supporting characters who get close-ups or even mediums like they keep almost Everyone way back there, except for our three leads. Like we see a lot of good mediums and close ups of, uh, Jong and Ben and, and Hey Me. And so whenever, uh, she's gone, suddenly one of the characters that was primarily filling our frames um, is no longer there. And so we really definitely feel that. And of course uh, her energy um, is just unmatched by any of the other characters like Ben and jong do not have nearly the same amount of energy that she brings to the screen. Um, And that's by design. Of course, I'm not saying, you know, those are bad actors. Like Todd said, they're incredible. Everyone in here. I was especially impressed with Steven Yoon. Like we're so used to seeing just kind of one style of acting from him. Um, thrilled with what he did in this and i and definitely whenever i see his name pop up now it's probably going to be something that i sit down and watch just because of how impressive he was in this movie but another cinematography trick that they played uh was the the porsche when we're doing this whole you know i don't know magnum pi or whatever like uh spying on this guy and we're what we're rolling through him in traffic that scene in traffic was really cool just because that's a gray porsche it's not like this Lime green thing that's just going to pop out on the screen and we shoot so wide that you need to make sure when we're we're shooting from jong perspective, we need to make sure the audience is looking at what he's looking at, which is this gray Porsche. Gray is not a color that's gonna pop on the screen. And so in order to draw your attention to that in traffic, again, this is in traffic, there's a ton of cars, they're just in wall-to-wall traffic. Uh, and the, the smart, easy thing that they did with that was to make all the other cars in that scene white. Literally, if you watch that scene, every single car in there is white except that Porsche. And of course, with the the lines and the composition, it also helps to draw your eye directly to uh, what they're looking at, what he's looking at. And we already know we're looking for a Porsche. And so all those things play in very, very nicely to make sure, you know, watch the birdie, watch watch the Porsche. And diving into it's kind of a mixture of writing, story and editing, uh, cinematography and editing. Um, but the slow, smooth camera moves, ton of those, a lot of long takes very minimal editing like they do very, very little editing. And that's one of the things I absolutely love about this movie. For one, that helps to keep the pacing slow and the slower they make this movie. I think the more to their benefit because it helps kind of undercut this uh, expectation of excitement and it instead, you know, it makes us feel like time is moving slow, but not too slowly. If you start doing a bunch of edits, That in itself creates energy, and whenever you have a movie where there's not going to be a lot happening, that's working against you. (laughs) Like you need to make sure you don't create energy where you don't want it. And so by minimizing the edits, you help kind of uh, slow everything down. It's almost kind of like they're slowing our heartbeat down. They slow our energy down with the uh, the slow editing, and it helps you know really pull us into the scene into their rhythm. And now every single cut is meaningful. And that's one of the things people don't really appreciate about editing in and of itself is people cut and edit almost just for the sake of doing it. Um, And this is something that I heavily agree with Walter Murch on. He's a a pretty famous editor. And, you know, you cut when there's a reason to cut, not just uh, because you want to cut. And ideally, it's because something in the story is compelling you to show it. If you're cutting, it's because there's something new we want you to see. There's something else that has meaning and impact on the viewer. Now we're gonna edit so that you can witness that. And the reason I say, you know, the the story and cinematography plays into the editing uh, is because that's all very much in there. Like these scenes are very long and drawn out and evenly paced. uh, And whenever you go in knowing that you're going to have these long takes, these very long, then you have to understand that this is being treated more as a, a play or as a theater. And so all your writing has to be completely zoned in. Before you get on set, because another movie that doesn't mind willy nilly cuts can can take some liberties with the scenes. They they don't mind throwing stuff against the wall. Like if you go watch a Will Ferrell movie, they're just constantly improvising and throwing stuff against the wall. This movie cannot do that. They have to know. This is exactly the rhythm and the pacing of the scene, and it has to live within the frame already or else it's just not going to work because it's very, very difficult. And that's probably what adds to the runtime of this movie, too. It can be extraordinarily difficult to edit down long takes um, once you you've shot it and it's in the can. Your your hands are pretty tied. I'm experiencing this myself right now. I wrote and directed, as people are probably tired of hearing right now, like uh, earlier this year, a 45 minute uh, film. And now we're looking at submitting it to festivals and whatnot, and there's a lot of takes or scenes because it's a mixture of 2D and VR that I can't cut in VR. There's no alternate angles to cut to Um, the scene is the scene and and it comes usually down to, am I just going to remove the entire scene or am I going to keep it in there? Uh, Because if you edit in a long take, Then you introduce what's called a jump cut. And whenever you're jump cutting like that, unless you're doing it in, you know, within a specific intention, all you're doing is kind of taking the viewer out and you're, you're creating not just confusion, but you're suspending disbelief. Um, or you're destroying the suspension of disbelief by making the audience aware that there's an editor. There's someone behind the camera. Like you're calling attention to these things that you may not want to draw attention to because now you're, you're basically making the audience ask, did they mean to do that? Was that an accident? And now you're thinking about the you're thinking about the storyteller and not the story. Um, and that's a massive, massive no, no. And so you have to you have to do those things with explicit intention. And so the editing, the writing and the cinematography were absolutely all in good hands for sure. But they were all well thought out uh, way before they stepped on set. That was uh, a marriage in the, that started with the uh, the screenplay. And yeah, so. Story-wise, I am, I am curious to kind of dive right back into where we left, you know, a second ago. Because for me, I you know, it's the story of a lonely person, right? Hey, me, she fell into a well and no one noticed her for hours. Uh, she was rescued by jong Or did she? Right, that is, that's one of the <laughs> questions. And I think that's interesting because she was rescued by this guy who would later call her ugly just a few years later. And it gets into this, yeah, did she or didn't she? Because her parents don't remember having a well, uh, let alone falling into one, but she's so out of contact with her parents, I don't know that they're a reliable source. They don't seem very connected or uh, invested. The other source that we have is uh, the mom, his mom, Jung-Soo's mom, and it's messed up because they're calling her a liar. And I can't, and and maybe you'll have a, a repost to this, Dave, but I can't see any other moment in the film that she lied like unless we're saying she didn't have a cat we never see the cat but there was cat droppings um and so there was some evidence it gets into this like is god real well is there evidence and like in this case like uh there was there was cat poop at a minimum like if she went out of her way to go and collect cat poop i guess i don't think there's an argument for that in this story um (laughs) but Otherwise, like I don't see any reason to distrust her. I see a reason to feel her heartbreak um, and the one person. And this is what she confessed to Ben, which is a really interesting moment. And another one of those moments that gives gives us a weight into the Ben Kilder theory, which is he after the, the whole cafe scene. Um, let me see if I can find my exact notes. Uh, but. He she confessed to him that she trusted Jung Soo more than anyone in the world, and he said, You know, that made him jealous for the first time in his life, and which is hilarious contextually because immediately he gets into a Porsche with a beautiful girl and drives away. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that guy feel, felt jealousy. Uh, cool, and so I think he broke her heart because if she, if he was the last person that she actually trusted. And the last thing that he said to her was basically he calls her a whore, like you undress so easily for men, you know, that's what whores do. You know, that was kind of the last straw maybe for her. I feel like that, you know, she just had her moment of, you know, the the great hunger dance that she performed on the patio at sundown. And that whole scene in and of itself was really interesting because we're watching the sun fade and we linger so long, and then we slowly pan over to the the coming night. Um, and I took the night, you know, m- much more metaphoric to be, you know, there is no more sun. Um, and 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 in that way, I I took it as death. But I suppose you could definitely take it as, you know, the sun sets, but the sun comes back. Um, I don't know. But that's that was my interpretation. The thing for me, because the the cell phone, so getting back into she she ran away the cell phone is an issue because for one she we hear the footsteps and we hear someone pick it up but it sounds like the footsteps come back but that could very easily be someone else coming and picking up the phone turning it off and the phone is disconnected i feel like the disconnection would have had to have come from her i think and i don't know Uh, i don't know (laughs) yeah i mean that's i guess that's at the end of the day that's that's (laughs) The best answer is, you know, we don't really know. It's a lady and the tiger affair where you kind of choose your own adventure. But to me, everything was pointing to she uh, was supremely dissatisfied with life. All the indications were she was gonna kill herself. My problem with the idea that she ran away is it's pointed out a number of times she doesn't have any money. Um, She's broke uh, and any money she saved up, I would have assumed was spent on a trip to Africa. Because later in the film, in that cafe sequence, uh, Ben says that she was broke. He's like, she didn't have any money that I knew about. And if there was one person that could have given her money, it would have been Ben. He didn't seem to be overly concerned with the affairs of mortals, <laughs> such things as money. <laughs> and so she was broke in my heart. The one I what I really want for her to have gone to is, uh, China, right? There's that sequence where they're all talking about Chinese men actually value and treat uh, their women. Well, um, you know, you need to get your, you a Chinese man. And so I like the idea that she ran away to China and found a Chinese man that valued her. Um, unlike, you know, the men around her, but I don't know, Dave, what do you, what's your gut feeling or where do you lean or do you lean?
0: well there's a yeah i don't necessarily lean there's a uh, a lot that you were saying that i have thoughts on i'm trying to tra- track it back uh but uh first off like the the scene where they're talking about china and america they also make a point to say that like oh those are selfish people mm-hmm. and they say that you know south koreans think about others so there is a little bit of like criticism there there's also i don't know i'm just like i have a little more awareness after watching it the second time of like the role of North Korea in this movie. And that shot you say, where that goes to darkness after the sunset, they specifically point it at where the North Korea sound comes from, you know, like they're like pointing it there. So that's some another layer to think about. I also take it very literally as the sun went down, she starts crying when the sun goes down in a way that feels not so much joyous as like sadness, you know, um, so I think that's very intentional also. Oh, something that struck me that you guys spoke about earlier is just in general, her performance. This is, I think this was her first role. And this is, uh, uh from my understanding that that's I, so unfair,
1: that's so unfair.
0: I know. Right. <laughs> um, is, uh, so Yu I N, uh, who plays Jung Soo, that he's, you know, a pretty big star there. American audiences know Steven Yoon so yeah for that to be your first role i think that's i mean a big reason why they cast her is because she exudes all those things naturally that you that we're yeah. talking about that that character's supposed to represent so i think you know obviously a lot of it's uh her performance but um whatever they saw in her was just like that you are the character you know yeah. so uh Man, what, how many thousand points did you make?
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just piggyback on that because I think one of the things that they did well with not just casting her, but coupling her with the, the style of this film, when you're doing long takes, that's very forgiving on amateur actors. You don't have to match a take. You don't have to, you know, exhaust yourself with what did I do last time? You can be in the moment every single time and it doesn't really matter if you change it from your last take. Long takes are very forgiving to amateur actors, I think.
0: Yeah. And she's only in That's half the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> <That> <laughs> helps. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, when it comes to I guess if we want to like break down like the what happened to her that, you know, I think the the phone thing to me, to me sounded like, I feel like it's easy to try to jump to the not most logical conclusion of it, because the movie wants to lead you in so many different directions. But I think if you listen to it, like purely first time, like, uh, without thinking of any of those things, um, it sounds like someone's being chased, they drop a phone, they run away, the, the pursuer picks it up, turns it off, is like, you know and then keeps pursuing probably the other thing that uh is hard to make a connection to in the film in any other way is uh been visiting this reservoir which is i think you know potential dump site it's one reason that he's in a country that he normally wouldn't be in like from what we know the only reason he goes to paju is to scout greenhouses which he's not even scouting greenhouses you know he's just i think going there to you know Kind of see how the other half lives and you know like spend whatever time he's gonna do with hey me, to begin with like you know carry out that plot until he feels like killing again because they do kind of make you feel like oh is his hobby is an every couple month thing it's very serial killer he's got trinkets you know like yeah. um there's a lot of stuff that's like shaking you and being like no he's just a serial killer it's not the rest of this you know <laughs> um so it's it's i feel like it's really easy to think that way and it's like hard to convinced me of other things. Um, but I, I was just gonna say that uh, when it comes to the running away thing, I think uh, one big piece of evidence that the, that the film presents is that's exactly what jung mother does. He says it's because of her uh, of anger, but it could very easily be said it's this lower class life that she ran just ran away from. And I also think that maybe Hei-Mi um, did not go to Africa on savings. I think she went on credit and they make a point of like, that's how she just lived. Jung-Soo has this conversation with her coworker when he's trying to find her. And she kind of makes the point of like, this is what, you know, these girls do. Um, and it's just like how to get by. And uh, I think the film is also trying to, you know, draw that parallel with uh, with soos life in terms of being working class people where it's just like, they're just trying to find their way out. And, you know, this film, those two characters find each other, obviously, like he said some awful things to her, doesn't seem to remember parts of their childhood that she really does remember. And I think part of that can be attributed to, you know, her feelings for him, but also just her like uh, zest for life and what's important to her. You know, like the well thing is, you know, a good nod to like just maybe she even if it didn't exist, maybe she just has a this big imagination and it runs away with her. And that's the thing that you love about her, though, you know. So I feel like there there is supporting like evidence for like this like narrative that these are a class of people who are up against a force, which is represented by Ben, which is he talks about there needs to be this balance. And he goes, I'm everywhere, like I'm in Africa. I'm in all these different places around the world. I think that's trying to equivocate, you know, class separation. And. Uh, There's this force that they're up against that they can't beat because no matter what, this is going to slap you down and your only choice is to accept it or disappear, you know, accept that the like the forget that you can't see the tangerine or cease to exist, which is uh, like what Ben does. He like does the final cutoff of your existence if. You don't do it for yourself, you know?
1: Why do you think jung he got that job at a warehouse and then immediately quits? <laughs> like, Do you think that was just a story motivation to say that he's just too focused on inspecting greenhouses and trying to figure out what's going on there? Or do you think there's some story logic in there about why he would quit that job?
0: I think that goes to uh, the separate plot through line that is he's trying to decide... Uh, what path he wants to go in his life. And he talks about how uh, his, was it his, yeah, the lawyer talks to jung Soo about his father, how he told him to get an apartment in the city and that's what you should do. But he ended up, you know, just going home and have a family in the country. Um, that's what I think jung Soo is kind of deciding when he quits that job he's, he's like, I can't go down this path. And that's part of that journey to the, I want to become a writer. I want to move to the city like Hayme did. And I think part of that is he's like chasing it for her in a way if she's gone and Hmm. you know, this is what she tried to do. And I screwed it up and I know I screwed it up because you know, he's like immediately full of regret for that last thing he said to her is awful. And it's built on him calling her ugly when she was a kid. Like he's just stacking up these regrets. And I think that job thing was just like, it's a really mundane scene, right? It's depressing. And I think he's realizing during that whole like rundown from that foreman or whoever that like, this is not it for me. I, you know, I want to be this writer and I want to try this life and do what my dad couldn't do. You know,
2: I love that. I love the way that they did that. I think like with any other movie, it's there's multiple cuts. There's like a, you know, him thinking about it and then, you know, close up. I quit and then like you know a cut of him walking out you know silhouetted by the sun outside and and then like a cut back to the to his the guy boss just like stared at him like what with the clipboard in his hand you know cut to all the people all the other people standing there waiting to get called on next this was one shot it was literally a pan from the from the the foreman to Jung Soo to him quitting and walking out and that's the whole scene that's it They were just. They're
0: like, that's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. One one try.
1: It was great too because they established with the they talk to the first two people ahead of time, and they establish that Paju is not that far from this place. So it's not a question of oh, it's going to be you know a a arduous journey every day to get to work. No, it's you know probably
0: five or ten minutes. And that is juxtaposed in the story as well. Early on, he makes a point to tell Ben that he has a long journey home when he's refusing basically to take hey Me home in a moment that clearly injures her she's looking for him to want to take her home and that's like another of the insults that is stacking on her and weighing on her and making her feel lonely so i feel like that does come back and pay off in a, in a small way
1: <laughs> for sure yeah because i on top of her story, this, that's the other story I feel like that's being told is this is a story of a man who follows in his father's footsteps because he does, right? He moves back home, uh, quits a job, stabs a man who, who may or may not have been innocent, but he acts out violently. He has all this pent up uh, rage, um, that kind of unleashes just like he says his father would do. And even though he says as a writer, uh, he never, you know, writes anything and it's not a matter of, he never gets published. He literally never writes. We see him sit down to write and he just abandons shit. You know, he's just like, yeah, nope. <laughs> and so I feel like this is, yeah, the story of for for sure, you know, a, a lonely person in Hey Me, but also a, a man who, you know, just follows the exact person that he probably, you know, despises. And because it's such a strange time whenever we go into the court and to hear the, the violent acts his dad did and he's there, he's not necessarily... I mean, I don't really know. Is he supporting his dad? Is he there
0: just because he feels like he should be? Yeah. I think he's going through the motions, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Cause his dad like looks at him at one point in the, in the courthouse and he, he looks away
1: He <laughs> she just he walks, like, out. walks out. That's yeah. what it
0: was. He, yeah. He walks out. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, his story for most of the movie is he's like on his dad's side, mom ran out, right? That's what he tells people. Yeah. And then ultimately, you know, he, the place he comes to and then when he meets with his mom, you know, he I feel like has a genuine moment of like, I'll pay your bet or I'll pay your debt for you. And he seems to be very sincere about it and knowing that, like, I've thought about you in the wrong way, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, like the decision you made. Like, I, you know, I've sided with the wrong parent in this situation. Really? Yeah, I didn't get that. That's that's what I felt. I, uh, this is also a rewatch moment, potentially, is just a very yeah, a yeah. very subtle, kind smile that I think comes from Jung-Soo when he's talking to his mom, that to me just feels genuine. And like, I didn't, I definitely didn't get that the first time I watched it, but this, uh, uh, repeat, I was like, Oh man, I feel like he really means that. And like in his heart is like, uh, sorry, mom, you know?
2: No. Yeah. I, I, I think I got that. I need to rewatch that to see what you're, you're, you're mentioning. Cause I, I, what I got from that was a, I, I, you know, I had this, this anger you know, um, for you leaving and I'm letting go of the anger and I forgive you, but I didn't get, I didn't get at least on first viewing a, I picked the wrong parent.
0: I got a, I didn't have any parent. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that, there's definitely that. I just mean, like, there's definitely I, that. I, I just okay. mean, when, I just mean in terms of the way he tells the story in terms of just like uh-huh. he places the blame on her. So, mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I, oh, yeah. 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 Saying the same thing in like a different direction. But yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. essentially. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm talking in circles. Got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, 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 we're. Yeah, I think you just no. I, I think you said it better, actually, is that uh, he didn't have a parent growing up. That's very true. Yeah. Um, and that he just misdirected the blame.
2: So you said something earlier that was really interesting. We were talking about the ending and you said, and I don't know if it was in reference to the ending, but it was just, just in general that it's hard not to watch this movie. It's, it's hard to watch this movie and take it for face value of what you're seeing. It's hard to watch it and just say that happened, that happened and that happened. So this, because you never have a this, so they never give you the, this, and there's so many, this is in this movie that you don't get. It's, you're always constantly looking. So like in the end, I found myself and I'm only saying this because it's really, it's really interesting. I'm like following my, my own mental journey through the end. I saw it happen, you know, and it's amazing. It's the whole thing is like one shot. Right. And you know, he, uh, Ben walks up to the car and then something happens and I'm like, Oh, somebody's getting stabbed. I didn't know who it was. I thought it was Ben. So here's my whole process. I'm like, oh, shit, Ben is stabbing him. Oh, you thought Ben was doing the stabbing? I thought Ben was stabbing him (laughs) because Ben had all the knives, right? No, no, um, no. Jiangsu had all the knives. His dad in the garage, he opened up uh, uh, the... No, no. I, I saw that, but Ben also had a bunch of knives. That's, that's, that's true. He, did. he had a bunch yeah, of knives. Everyone, you know, like, everyone had all the knives. Yeah. <laughs> they knives. They were in his bathroom. Um, and he gra- there was a scene where he goes in there and he grabs the case of knives
0: and he leaves the bathroom. No, the bathroom is makeup. And they show him later applying the makeup to the next girl. Yeah, they have they have similar cases. I've, and I, I totally get why you would confuse them. But okay. they do make a point to show well, jong Soo look at like hunting knives, like yeah. stabby hunting knives. Ben has the cooking knives and he also <laughs> yeah, has, remember the, and he okay. has a makeup I do remember kit.
2: Because that happens at first when he first gets to the uh-huh. house, right? Yep. Yeah. And when I, he first gets to his
0: dad's house. Right. And I think the makeup kit is another, you know, point for serial killer. It's ritualistic, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. why are you sitting down point. putting, you know, makeup lip, on her? Yeah. yeah. Putting makeup on her uh, unless you're, this is what I do before I kill you. You know, yeah,
1: before I kill you, you are not just like just normal behavior. You. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any idea what that art installation is with the burning building?
0: No, I wanted to look that up though. Yeah. Um, but There's so much burning in this movie from the smoking to um you know the they burn the mom's clothes like everything is burning all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. but anyway so the end of the movie i think is interesting because it's like you know a lot of times in in films you know when you switch perspective you know they may do it back and forth or something like that to like kind of toss you in different directions but this one again like with the only thing that happens saves that for the last shot of the film which is you're basically seeing it from Ben's POV, like uh, experiencing like the the audio and the visual uh, from that angle, which I think is the director trying to make you think that maybe this is basically jong way of acting out his anger through his writing and that this is not happening. This is hmm. the big tell in in that theory right. is that I switched the POV on you because I think that theory of how basically the second half of the movie is Jung-Soo writing it all out and making Ben into the serial killer. That's like the the moment where the director says, and this is, I'm putting my stamp on it, you know? Yeah. Because I feel like otherwise it's, I don't know. I think I like to think that way because otherwise it's very sad that uh, Jung-Soo basically ends up doing what his father did, acting out in anger. Um, he does, you know, have this cathartic newborn thing. It's like, but you killed a guy. <laughs> and uh yeah. You know, I, I feel like I just, I don't want to think of the story ending that way necessarily because but even though a lot of the rest of the movie is telling me that and i already made that point earlier which is this is an inescapable existence of of a class that you can't get out of so it's like that definitely supports that point but at the same time i'm just like oh it's just sad
1: <laughs> it is and I, I just have a hard time buying into if, if for no other reason the bin killer theory and even i mean that's a really interesting idea that some people think, you know, this is a, the, the second half of the movie is uh, a writer is jung writing it. But even that wouldn't make sense in the context of that final scene where Ben is asking him, like, where's Hey Me?" He you said that, you know, you were bringing hei Me with you. Where's she at? And then he's being stabbed.
0: <laughs> he's like, well, I, I thought about that. And uh, my answer to that is that if you're writing someone to be a serial killer... They play it to the bone. Yeah, exactly. He wouldn't be like, why are you talking about? Hey, me, I killed her. <laughs> like, you know, he's up to that point. He's still playing dumb. You know, he doesn't know it's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, just, you know, playing out the act that he'd been the whole time of playing dumb of like, oh, she's missing. I, don't, I haven't seen her. Have you seen her? You know, I think that was just a continuation of what he had been doing that whole second half. Every time Jongsu asked him if he'd seen, hey, me, it was just playing dumb. Mm. Um, I
2: love the the theory of the second half being his writing I mean it makes sense to me because then in that case he's the hero right in that case Ben was a murderer and he got what he deserved and I I was the one that did it and I and and if you think about it like he was a complete bumbling idiot loser before that before that the whole scene of her dancing he didn't literally did nothing. He was, he was a nothing. He had no motivation to do anything. He gave up a job that he had, whatever it was to go live in podunk nowhere in a rundown house, Uh, you know, like he just had nothing. Right. And then all of a sudden he's like, wait, where's Me? OK, I'm going to go find her. She's not coming to the door. I'm going to I'm going to get somebody to get me into the door. I'm going to find, you know, like I'm going to track down Ben. I'm going to stalk him like I'm going to, you know, like like follow him. He's not going to see me even though I pull up right next to him. And I'm a, the worst tale ever in the history of following anyone in a car. Um, he's not going to know it's me. And even if he does, I'm still going to get away with it. And then in the end, I'm going to be the one that kills him. And it's going to be the truth. And the truth is that he was the murderer and I, I fixed it. But then that line where he says, he says, "Uh, where's, Hey, me at the end, right before Ben, when Ben says that right before he gets stabbed that's a little bit of reality, Mm. I feel like that sneaks into the writing of like that, that he puts in there to like, maybe (laughs) with us as a, as a viewer to think that, that maybe he's wrong. But it doesn't matter because he's the hero.
0: Yeah. That's weird. The way you're- and
2: we're not going to give you the ending of yeah. her actually
0: still being alive. Right. Yeah. yeah that totally anyway. justifies like this conversation, you know? <laughs> like yes, exactly. we're, we're talking about exactly. it because oh, there's a purpose behind like, it. Like you it's definitely okay. did that intentionally. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just feel like if you're uh, going to tell part of the story, which they clearly are, that like, one path this guy's trying to take is being a writer and it's kind of a decision he has to make because he's, he's not doing it. He's not doing it. Like you're saying, he's a loser. Like he and Wes made the point earlier. He uh, just wasn't writing. We kept not seeing it. But if you do believe that he did make that choice, that is like arguably the like most heroic and healthy way that he could live out the rest of his life is to, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to act out my anger that my father had and that, you know, my whole, Class of people have through my writing. You know, I'm going to take out the anger on people like Ben, who maybe this is all in my head and I just uh, resent you for what you represent. Uh, but I'm just going to write it out and that's it. You know, I'm just going to tell it that way. And I feel like that's just a way more satisfying read on it. And I, I was going to say, too, there's uh, the, you talked about being the hero in his own story, like the scene with the, when he's talking to the dad's lawyer. He says that the of of his dad that he's like the protagonist of his own story and basically uses that as a criticism as saying like he won't listen to anybody because he's just like that he's built it up in his head. And this is uh, he won't like, you know, he's just going to carry out the story that he's made up for himself.
1: Yeah. Todd, I mean, the point you made is so fantastic because before she disappears, he is so reactive and he's so. Not in control of his own life. And after the fact, he becomes unrealistically proactive and he's just on it. Like you said, he is suddenly doing the most incredible job of staying hidden in this terribly Big beat up ugly truck that is so recognizable, and the fact that yeah he is just completely on the ball. He's pursuing, he's chasing down leads. He goes and interviews her parents, and suddenly his, rescuing cats, rescuing cats. <laughs> suddenly his mom is back in his life, like all the things that he probably deeply wishes for and wants are suddenly reappearing for him. And how could he
2: pay off his mom's debt? He has no money. There's no way. When he said that,
0: I was like, what the? F- <laughs> he, where did he, that come from? He sold the cow. He it's, sold with the cow, it's with yeah. that cow money and maybe it well, has to be some cost maybe maybe he sold the farm though too you know mm-hmm. if he totally ditched that life and goes and maybe lives in hey me's abandoned apartment sure. <laughs> he's rolling in it man he's got the cow <laughs> yeah, money man. he's got the shitty yeah. barn money
1: <laughs> nice so yeah i mean i don't really have much more to add to this i think I mean, I really love the story, the the movie, probably not something I queue up again, maybe ever, or maybe if I do, it's just to kind of <laughs> do what Dave said, like just to study it because there is a lot to learn from because I kind of like writing in this vibe of uh, these slice of life scenes where you're just kind of inhabiting the world. It's very, it's very satisfying. I might want a little more activity, but... <laughs>
0: I think if you ever do like, honestly, the the thing to get out of it most and why I like it the most, because this is where I go to with my film watching is just paying attention to the word choice. Yeah. Um, because that's what I do normally. And a lot of in a lot of movies, I'm just criticizing it. I'm just like, oh, like that was lazy here, you know, yeah. but I feel like this is the ultimately unlazy word choice movie <laughs> where yeah. like everything is super intentional, perfectly reflective of character. Yeah. And also, I mean, you made the point earlier, they. uh with the editing. I feel like there's so much intent with these like shots like every time that, you know, he goes up to his apartment and just gazes out on the city, you know. And like you kind of can track like the directions everyone is facing and what that means to them and how the movie manipulates it and it's so well planned yeah. and it's like just on the money. And it's kind of, it's almost like on rewatch for me really hard to like take issue with at least some of like those plot machinations other than Uh, There's no satisfying conclusion you can reach, which is obviously the point. So, like, if that's your beef with it, you're never going to enjoy this movie at all (laughs) in any way. If you want to understand it or, like, say, this is what happened, it's like, okay, sorry, there's no answer.
2: (laughs) No, but there's, there's some beautiful, there's so much beautiful stuff about it. And, you know, like, you're, you're mentioning, Wes, about like the, the, the purpose of editing, right? Has, is, it's it's a heavy burden right because every cut has to be meaningful it has to be a reason why you're cutting away and it has to say something before it leaves and goes to something else and i think they take that seriously and that's why that's why you hang on things for so long you know it's it's making you think why are we here until it leaves and then it makes you think why are we here until it leaves, because there's so many wonders in in this movie. But the, you know, a lot of times, like there's wonders that you don't notice. I noticed every single one of them. It was purposeful. It was like it was like, oh, they're doing this for a reason. Why, you know? And it, I was just constantly thinking. And so, if you want to, if you want a film that makes you think, not even necessarily like the meaning behind the the entirety of the film, just like in a moment, you know, when they were having sex. And he looks at the light, the single, you know, the, the one moment of the day where the light shines into her, into her window happened to be while they were making love. And he's, and you, we got to witness it. Yes. We got to witness the sex. And there was like, you know, some long shot there too, but we got to actually witness the light. And in that moment, I was expecting something crazy to, to happen. She's going to like
1: Cut his face you know, or something.
2: They're, they're so brilliant. They, she reaches down below the bed to grab something and you're thinking it's going to be a knife and it's going to be, you know, like she's going to slit his throat or something. Uh, name that film some other time off air. And then and then uh, she grabs a condom, right? And you're just like, oh, no, this is just so normal. And then he looks into the into her closet area where the light is shining. and I'm expecting like a face to come out of the wall or something. And then nothing. It's just that moment. Right. And there's just all these little bitty moments that make me like think, wow, that's just so beautifully done. And in so many other ways, I would be bored out of my skull <laughs> with so many other you know versions of this film. But they just did it right to me.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I, to, uh. to that point, uh, like I uh, think a great sell for this movie is that if someone does like, you know, a visual aspect of a movie, and you know they're hearing from me that it's just like oh it's you know you're mostly attached to like the story and the characters and the verbal bits of it is that i love that this movie made me think about all those visuals all the time and what they meant because normally that's going on secondarily i may notice it if it's really obvious just because my brain doesn't work that way um so like i won't see the things that wes sees that are like probably very clear to him you know like oh they were doing this and this was that intent like but this movie made me do it in a way that i feel like was at least instructive and like made me enjoy this film in a way that i don't typically enjoyed films or you know i'm thinking about them in a different way like like you're saying why am i looking at this there's obviously a reason and it uh, yeah. it makes it so you can't not do that
1: <laughs> yeah brilliant yeah. dude great great call man i'm really glad we we covered this one i i, I was
0: terrified of the response <laughs> after after like I, like i said like hearing like you guys talk about nothing happening and like ha- having an issue with that in, in other movies i'm just like <laughs> oh man like the like you want a nothing happening supreme (laughs) i think that that's i think that that is i'm really
2: glad we did this movie for that reason like it's not that we have to have stuff happen in films all the time is that the way that it's done needs to be done in a in a way like this like okay if you're gonna have nothing to if you're gonna do nothing at least make it heady yeah right at least make it so that i can live in my own head and create a world you know, in my own head with what I'm seeing rather than you, you know, you either give me nothing and it's really good or you give me a little, a little bit of something and maybe you're painting too much of the picture for me and I'm not able to build it out, build the world out in my head. And this movie did a great job of like not giving you shit really, but giving you a lot at the yeah. same time, you know? So
1: yeah, it's yeah. all there. It's it makes and in, in the characters and they are just yeah. living the truth. And it's, it's, and it's the kind of the the fun thing about human nature, uh, is we're experts on people, uh, for the most part. I mean, you have, you know, certain classes of people who aren't as good as others, but generally speaking, we're very good at people. And, uh, they clearly trusted the viewer. They trusted the audience to go on the journey and to understand the subtext, um, that was, that was there. And that takes a lot of faith and, and, you know, expertise to deliver the subtext, first of all, uh, in a way that's going to shine, but also to, to trust the audience to, to chew on it and to contemplate these things. Yeah. Fantastic choice. Yeah.
0: I have a question is uh, if you were getting stabbed to death and you know, you're getting stabbed yeah. to death, would you hug the guy and kind of give a little smile uh, like Ben does in this movie? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just mainly curious what you guys thought of that moment because I'm just like there, I have a lot of emotions about that moment. Like, um,
2: okay. Yeah. I, 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 so what I was saying a little bit earlier and I kind of got sidetracked, I guess, but was that that whole ending, my mind is being changed constantly all over the place. Right. I said, I said, I thought Ben was stabbing him. No, he's stabbing Ben. Okay. Ben's hugging him. That's really weird. Maybe Ben is hugging him because he's thanking him. Like, thank you for killing me because I can't stop killing people because I'm a, I'm a murderer because I killed Jaime. Ha- okay. Maybe that's why. And then, you know, they're driving away. I'm expecting it to him to get a phone call from Jaime or something. And and that never happens, or at least see her face somewhere or something. That never happens. So it's like, wait a minute. Is she? I'm expecting her to still be alive. And that, you know, because that would throw another wrench in everything that I just thought. But that didn't happen. So maybe maybe he was the killer. He did kill her. Or like, I, I don't know. So, yeah, I think maybe it was because there was a little bit of a smile now that you mention it. Maybe it was because he was dying and seeing, you know, angels or the light or something <laughs> and i don't know and he was just like oh yeah let's go to it or maybe he was just happy that it was over and he didn't have to kill anybody anymore or that's all i got I yeah and,
0: <laughs> or maybe you know maybe Jung Su is like writing that for himself and saying like you know you're oh, gonna be okay like yes there's there's just a lot to th- and i i feel like the fact that like steven Yun in that second does all that with his face And like a second is fantastic. And that's why I love this movie is there's a lot of things like that, that make you think all of these different things at once. And it's super challenging, but super uh, stimulating to me and like why it keeps my mind going and why you may wake up at night and be like, she killed herself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching that moment. And I guess I'm
1: waiting to see, is he going to cry? Like I'm um, seeing the intensity in his face and he's, lo- his, he, you know, he's slipping away. Um, and I'm wondering, yeah, is he finally going to kind of reconnect with humanity at this point? But he just fades. And I didn't really, I mean, the whole hugging sequence I took as kind of his last defense mechanism. This is the last thing I could possibly do. I, he's already lost the, the strength war and now it's, I feel like there's a Sun Tzu quote somewhere in there about you know uh, hugging your enemy prevents them from attacking you kind of thing, um, and so maybe that was his the last thing that he could do. Like maybe I can call him compassion, or maybe I can just prevent him um, from from hitting me again uh, by yeah. by embracing. I don't know.
0: That was the maybe th- my what? maybe my insides will <laughs> stitch themselves with love
1: because <laughs> you kept because you kept hoping <laughs> he's, he's gonna, gonna beg my- or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's almost yeah. like. I don't know i uh more uh infuriating that way too if you're like trying to find some catharsis out of it is it just like you know you're never gonna really win this moment like i'm gonna smile my way out and there'll be another me coming behind you know
2: oh interesting
0: again there's just like so many different ways to take it and i just thought thought it was a a fantastic moment yeah that and the the whole great hunger scene to me are just like (sighs) so memorable and will stick in my head forever yeah yeah yeah. Always good idea to pick Miles Davis too.
1: Right. You never fail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Absolutely. to have like a dude lean in smoking up against a car, I'm just like, this is just cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good call on this film, man. Well
1: done. Loved it. So Dave, what are you gonna recommend this week?
0: Oh, uh so basically going down a just recommending in another South Korean movie where things do happen all the time. <laughs> And, and it's also very emotionally satisfying, is Train to Busan. It's a zombie movie, and it's one of the best zombie movies I've ever seen. And I've also kind of burned out on those, you know, just over the years. For sure. But this one yeah. revitalizes it for me. And I forget the actor's name, but the guy who plays the son in Bong Jun Ho's Parasite uh, has a side role in this. You'll recognize him. Uh, but it's fantastic. I feel like it's from around 2007 maybe off the cuff. So watch all the South Korean movies. (laughs) Wow. I'm going to go watch that. Nice. What do you got, Todd? I'm going to
2: recommend this another film. And I believe it's on Netflix called hashtag alive. And it's another South Korean film. And it's got the same, same guy. uh, I knew that's in this film in it. And it's like this kind of uh, pandemic style thing where he's like, you know, finding out what's happening outside of his apartment, you know, through his phone. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah,
1: same actor. It's awesome. Oh, nicely done. Yeah. Well, y'all both kicked my ass this week. Um, I am going to recommend something that, most uh most people our age have definitely seen but maybe you haven't seen in a while um or maybe you skipped it thinking you had seen it because it's such a well-known movie um i'm going to recommend say anything it's a classic john cusack movie uh, ione sky um it's cameron crowe's first uh directorial debut and i the reason i'm recommending it in light of this movie is it's a little different than the way you probably remember it um there's you know, a little bit more drama um, and more arc in some of those characters than you would anticipate uh, in what is probably perceived as a rom-com. I I don't think there's almost any comedy in there. I I consider it kind of a romance drama, drama. But yeah, so say anything, we'll of course have all those in the show notes. Stay tuned next week. We're going to have our third and probably final guest of this series. This has been really fun. We're going to have Scott uh, Garrett Graham in the house, and we're going to cover Amadeus rock rock me amadeus and so (laughs) don't forget
0: best picture 1984 right that's correct 1984 do you have all the best picture winners as well did you just google that no but that's the year year i was born so that Uh, one's uh, easy uh, easy. (laughs) and i also don't know what one in 1980 i was about to be like didn't cameron wasn't cameron crowe's first movie fast times but that was screenwriter Screenwriter, correct yeah so oh man almost Almost messed that one up real bad.
2: Nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Nerd. Uh, almost wrote myself off this. No chance at reprisal.
1: Do you know the 1985 best picture winner?
0: Out of Africa. Oh, you Here lost no. Yeah. Oh think. man. I, I wouldn't have got it actually. Like that's that, that one's easier. You have, to, have miss. to think you're not creating. <laughs> you're
1: not. <laughs> oh so right. yeah, we'll, we'll be doing Amadeus next next week. And don't forget to subscribe, review us. Wherever you listen to us, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, whatever. We're not on SoundCloud, but we're on Stitcher, I believe. Yeah, drop us a review. I want to give a shout out to longtime listener, first time caller Shamari uh, for dropping a review on the on the iTunes. Big ups. Thank you for that. Next year, we're going to he he's a big Spike Lee stan. And so we're going to be uh, we'll cover some some Spike. I don't think we've had any Spike Lee films. No, yet. I haven't. And so there is a massive yeah. library. We'll we'll do a few because I, I want to cover uh malcolm x i've i've been wanting to get to malcolm x uh the book the autobiography for a while and so i want to read that and watch the movie but we're, you know there's so many i want to do clock inside man
0: inside man is oh, i love inside man i love inside man there's so, so i it's, it's like the rock or like shawshank redemption <laughs> yeah. where it's just on all the time and then i start watching it and i'm just like why did I just watch an hour and 15 minutes of Inside Man? Like just like in the middle. <laughs> no, no, no conclusion. Clive Owen Does it get better? I'm not even sure if I've seen that movie end since like the first time <laughs> I just like see middle bits. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that's so good. So big thanks to Shamari. And also want to give
1: Todd, I don't know if you saw this. Hannah, our, our friend Hannah, a listener, posted her top listens on her Spotify, you know, everyone was posting uh, their Spotify yeah. top top listens and we were number two on her most listened podcast and she had wow. listened to like awesome a lot of podcasts. Like uh, I think she had like several thousand hours worth of podcast listening under her belt um, wow. and got to step up your game. <laughs> Hannah, come on. Number 2. We're unacceptable. Look, man, we're not beating the Pants Pod. Like that's her that's a number 1 jam. We're the second jam.
0: Uh, but that was, was really pod? cool. That was magical. Pants Pod. Yeah. I don't even know what that Yeah. Who knows. I feel like she probably just like butt dialed your guys podcast <laughs> like one day and it was just playing while she was sleeping like woke up and just like I didn't watch I didn't like Jesus. listen to 34 straight episodes of the Pestle. <laughs> One of those Nokia brick phones that, like, you know, you could just, you could actually pocket dial.
2: I don't know how, but my father pocket dials me all the time with an iPhone. I don't know how that happens.
0: Yeah, that's but literally impossible. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> he has a he has a he has, impressive. a, he has a, he has a, like a. Uh, well, I, never mind. You can make some Face ID butt jokes there. <laughs> Oh man.
2: Perfect. That's another movie in it in its own.
0: My phone doesn't even recognize my face in the morning just in general. It's just like you look terrible. It's, just, it's like <laughs> it's like nope it like cannot be nope. you get oh a, man get, i'm in your pocket get, get another now. half hour of sleep maybe you can throw some water on your face and we'll talk like but like dude give it give yeah, it up you don't deserve uh, you to, to scroll right now i don't want
2: to recognize you anymore yeah. sorry Fantastic. it's not gonna work so if yeah. you want
0: to
1: leave a comment on this episode you can do that at the slash burning and our
2: quote of the day is from william faulkner she was bored she loved had capacity to love for love, to give and accept love. Only she tried twice and failed twice to find somebody not just strong enough to deserve it, earn it, match it, but even brave enough to accept it. What did he write that about?
1: No idea. What, what is that? Is that a piece in? Yeah, I assume that's a you know pull from from one of his quotes. But I I mean Faulkner obviously being a, a key piece of this film. Yeah. Conceptually, I mean, I just really like that idea that she had all this, you know, speaking of, hey, hey, me, uh, she had all this capability of love and all this capacity for love. And uh, she was just this brilliant, bright, shining source. And the the two men that she she wanted to love her, you know, uh, maybe just didn't have that capacity to to match her. Um, And from my perspective of the film, like she she just abandoned, whereas if she had tried and maybe found someone more deserving. Uh, She probably would have had an incredible life uh, instead of, you know, the, the shit that she endured there, there was a brighter light out there. I think if she had held out just a little bit longer.
0: When I saw that, he chose that quote earlier. I was like, this is insanely accurate for, yeah. for like my um, read on this character in the movie. And from that author who they're, you know, adapting the story from, essentially, I was like, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. I wonder, do you, did you look up and see that it's actually from Burning?
0: Uh, I don't think it is. I've read okay. uh, Burn Burning and I that. Yeah, that wouldn't really I don't think. That's from that, okay. that story. No. Yeah, but it is just real, crazy accurate, right? Yeah, Barn Burning is mostly just the like uh, the guy telling the story, and his father is mm-hmm. basically all you really know about.
1: Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes too, as well as all the places that you can find Dave and any of his work that he wants to share. If he wants to share his personal home address for people to go and say hello, oh, <laughs> like we're sure. p- we'll put it all there. <laughs> Cell yeah. phone number. Yeah, and a, yeah, I have a tracking device in his phone as well, so that you can get him wherever he's at
0: oh man (laughs) well it doesn't even recognize me so my phone doesn't track me all right fair enough (laughs) dave anything else you want to add my man i don't think so i mean we covered a lot this was yes we did but this was only about half of a burning viewing Right. Uh, yeah (laughs) Yeah, we got more in us yeah no no uh, basically this this has been fun thanks for having me on would love to do it again and yeah yeah, well done, guys. Awesome, man. I'm glad. I'm glad cool. you guys. I'm glad you guys enjoyed the movie, basically, in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, don't you guys? You so don't you guys rank suggestion. movies? Oh, we 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 rate. You guys stop do, doing that. But
1: we haven't in a while. Yeah, uh, we used to rate
2: them. We used to do like a like a you know out of out of ten, you know, like an eight out of ten or whatever. We haven't done that in a while. I
0: just wanted are to. You, I just wanted to be still. West. Yeah. Sorry. Like,
1: the end. I, I have the movie running in the background, and it's the stab sequence right now. They're they're hugging it oh. out. Um, okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna have to be
2: here for another. We'll just you <laughs> and I will talk minutes. here, Dave. <laughs> yeah, another, <laughs> yeah another ten minutes
1: until what we <laughs> West comes back to us. Yeah, that's what fine. would you rate it if you're gonna give it one to ten, Todd?
2: I'll give it a seven, uh, maybe a seven and a half, and which is solid, man. That's like a, it's that's legit. That's a rewatchable mm-hmm. window right there. Um, depending on the day, if you were to ask me like right after the film, I would say seven, but it's grown on me. So probably seven and a half. Yeah, I'll
1: say. Yeah, I'm probably right at the same. I'd say a seven. I think if I were to not feel committed to the entire movie and you were to say, yeah, you can you only have to watch the first hour uh, with hate Me. I, I, yeah, that would probably be like an eight and a half for me. I'd be like, oh, I'll just stop watching after that because this is all I really want yeah. out of the movie now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah, that's super interesting. (laughs) And Dave? I think for me, it's like an eight and a half through and through. Like it with like potential to grow for me too. I feel like I, I thought I would just rewatch it this one time. But now the more we talk about it, the more I'm just like, oh, I got to like, like yeah. I have to know more, even though I know I'm not going to know more, but I need to like study it <laughs> a little more. Because uh, there is
1: there is so much laced in there. They have the whole Trump immigration uh, segment
0: yep. on the TV. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally forgot about that. I put a note down, but it's yeah, It I mean, it's it's minor, but there's it's there. And just to Todd's point, though, it's like it's like putting a book. Uh, into a movie and for me like books are things that you can just go back and reread just to pick out something you haven't seen before maybe even just dive into part of this movie and be like oh i just want to watch this scene real quick you know Uh yeah yeah yeah,
2: I think they're all over the place. So anyway, man, thank you so much for joining us, Dave, and thank you everybody for listening and staying with us. Uh, I know we sometimes go off on a little bit of, of, of tirades, but you know it's all in good fun, and I think that they're all productive. So thank you for listening, and like Wes said, please share share us and review us, and tell us what you want us to review. Uh, we'll do it. I I can I can personally guarantee that we will. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes.
0: I'm Dave. But I mean, well, am I until I probably won't be on next time, but.
1: But you'll you still be Dave until next time. I
0: have been Dave.
2: Next time. Will you be Dave as well? TBD. Go watch some movies.